With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Nelaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Tonight, today, 8 p.m. EST on New Abolitionist Radio, we will be joined by Ori Lumumba, who is an advocate for the political prisoners who are part of the MOVE organization and family that was a target of the political repressions and police terrorism in the 80s, and who were also the subject of the PBS documentary, Let the Fire Burn, the MOVE bombings 29 years later. One of the prisons prisoners, William Phillips Africa, was taken ill and moved to an outside hospital. His family members are unable to get information on him and are very concerned for his safety. In the news, we found an interactive map which gives an indication of just how many prisoners are in each state across the nation, and we'll show that. Also, the Fraternal Order of Police President calls on Congress to expand hate crimes to law to protect law enforcement. Also, we'll wrap up our one-year adventure of 50 reviews of 50 state constitutions and what those documents say about slavery. Our last state is Wyoming. Our abolitionist in profile is Theodore Wright Weld, 1803 to 1895, and you can expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find our podcast at newabolitionistradio.blogspot.com. And we invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1-530-881-1400. That's 530-881-1400. The access code is 549032-POUND. Just press star 6 and 1 to queue up from the conference line if you have any questions or statements. What's happening, my brothers? How are you guys doing this first week of the new year, 2015? Uh, yeah, happy new year, 2015. Same story as 2014 and 1914. 1814 1714 same old story man well i tell you um this year man i'm make a stronger commitment to uh my abolitionist activities on the local level uh especially in terms of um 
you know, putting my local rep. I'm not even going to call him my representative because I didn't vote for the guy, but he votes. I mean, he's over this district I'm in. And so I'm going to keep holding his office feet to the fire in terms of, you know, the language of the 13th Amendment. You know, I've told this story before, but for those who uh, may not have heard my commentary, I had once reached out to the um local congressman's office i can't even recall his name right now but anyway i was telling him you know i would like for you to sponsor a bill that would amend the 13th amendment and remove this slavery exception clause um because you know we shouldn't have any kind of clauses that allow for slavery i don't care if a person has been so-called convicted of a crime and, and they try to I only got to talk to a staff member and they try to say like well I don't think prisoners on the side of the road picking up trash is slavery but of course those who are regular listeners of this broadcast and you know my co-hosts we know that um, it's more than just about prisoners on the side of the road picking up trash you know we have talked about on various programs all the work that prisoners are doing now in different industries so yeah i'm making a a commitment to you know be more aggressive towards um abolitionism on my local level right on man that's pretty awesome okay no i just said right on that's what it's going to take i mean that's that's what we're here for is to uh research inform wake people up, agitate, you know, activate, as you say, um, and and work within our own local systems and come up with solutions that we can help people replicate across the country. Uh, So, you know, right on, I stand 100% with you in in that effort. That's my desire to to do the same thing, is to continue to work here. Um, I'm, I'm on the state line of two states, Kansas and Missouri, and have connections with both sides, so I'm working with people in Kansas and Missouri to do the same thing so that's definitely we should be we should be uh leaders in in this effort so would you say uh pick up yeah. your weapon and follow me i'm following you scotty <laughs> well i certainly appreciate I've been, uh, roughing it out here in columbia south carolina for the past few years you know we've provided a uh spoken word venue in columbia for over a dozen years straight in this past uh 2014 most of after being um a victim to the gentrification process that's happening in Colombia, we lost our venue. So it was the first time ever that we weren't a part of the community in that fashion. But I've been a part of the community in many talks and discussions about what we got going on. I mean, if you're going to talk and you can't do it in your own community, <laughs> you know, for real. So we've been building and leading that a long time. And now they've got a, a lot of people willing to talk here in South Carolina. You know, after the homeless laws that came out and the prison stories that have been coming out, uh, just this tomorrow, as a matter of fact, they've got something called the Conversation Columbia, which I, which is invitation only, and I was asked to come and be a part of it. And I'm hoping to be able to get there, God willing. And they're going to talk about police brutality and uh, things like that and how they can improve the relationship between the police and the citizenry in the town. And the police will be there, as well as representatives of the Attorney General, I believe, who also, the Attorney General of South Carolina, just yesterday, was part of a public uh, discussion where it was just them talking, apparently, <laughs> about human trafficking and slavery and South Carolina's, uh, what they can do to help with that cause. But they didn't mention 
prison slavery, you can best be sure. So tomorrow the conversation is happening. I'm very happy to be a part of that. And then the next day, Friday, we're going to be downtown. Like, you know, been downtown so many times marching. They got a die-in plan. It's going to start on Gervais Street in Columbia, uh, South Carolina, and then it's going to go to the state house capitol. Uh, it's set up to commemorate the lives of those lost to police brutality and discrimination. And it's got some wonderful people who have organized it, uh, you know, it's like Tamika, Tamika Sta- uh, Staley and a few others. Uh, I'll be a part of that Friday, and if you want to be a part of that, that starts at 6 p.m. So come on down to South Carolina. Let's get up uh, all in that business. The rest of the year, bro, I told you what I'm be doing. I don't, I don't know if I'm be able to step back from the uh, type of activism I've been doing in the streets because you know people just like Max, you got to come be a part of this, and, and I'm always willing to come. But I'm going to try to relax a little bit. I'm looking forward to tonight's guest, man. That's a historical moment, I would think, for us. Yeah, I am too. I, I came uh, with my listening ears on because I want to learn. Uh, I want to learn, as always, from you know those that have been directly involved in the struggle. You know, I mean, we all have theories and ideas and want to try this and try that, but from people that have been in it and, and are you know directly connected to it, I want to get a little bit of that spread, you know, sprinkled on me too. So I'm looking forward to this uh, to this conversation. And, and you know, um, in terms of the programming on Black Talk Radio Network, this is kind of like a, a carryover from the program we do on Sunday nights called Political Prisoner Radio because we do certainly look at um, all the members of the Move family that are incarcerated as uh, political prisoners. And, you know, we've talked about this in the, in, in um, shows past, you know, political prisoners often also uh, fought against the very things we are fighting against as new abolitionists, you know, in the fact that uh, sla- slavery has never been abolished and that the, um, you know, the tobacco plantations and agriculture, cotton plantations are now prison plantations. And, you know, lots of human trafficking and all the abuses involved with slavery is going on on, on these prison plantations. And so, uh, without further delay, I believe we have Brother Ori Lamar Mumba on the line, and again, for the, um, those who didn't have an opportunity to read tonight's program description, uh, he is a tireless advocate for the political prisoners that I spoke about that are part of the MOVE organization and were a target of political repression and police terrorism in the 80s, and a uh, subject, uh, um, they were featured in the film, P- the uh, PBS documentary, Let the Fire Burn, the MOVE bombings, 29 years later so you know um people talking a lot today about acts of terrorism we know the NAACP out there in what was that Colorado uh Springs was bombed um today and um you know uh the move bombings is where a a house was bombed that belonged to the move family um bombed by the FBI and the Philadelphia uh police so that is what that uh film is about and but we have brother Lumumba coming on to talk about one of the uh prisoners uh part of the move family uh who has taken ill and uh they're just trying to get information on him so brother Lumumba we want to welcome you to new abolitionist radio Thank you, and on a move. How's everybody doing tonight? On a move. I, ain't, I, I don't have any complaints uh, right now other than our usual gripes about, you know, human trafficking and slavery in this country. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You got to keep the fight up against this system and its agents and officials. If, if, if you would, Brother Lumumba, you know, uh, this is a new audience, as I stated before. You know, you've been a guest uh, a couple of times on Political Prisoner Radio, but this is our program, New Abolitionist Radio. And can you give them, you know, just some background information on the Move family for those who may be unaware? Okay, the Move 9 are members of the Move organization now that have been in prison for the total of 37 years this August 8, 2015, for the accusation of the murder of a Philadelphia police officer stemming from August 8, 1978, when over 500 heavily armed Philadelphia police officers came out to Move headquarters in Powelson Village to serve an eviction notice for Move failing to vacate a house that was theirs. In their attempt that day, you know, to murder move people, first they tried to um, drown move people in a basement when move people refused to come out. They fired tear gas and over a thousand rounds of ammunition into a flooded basement with men, women, and children. During their trial, cops even testified that they emptied their carbines at women and children that was huddled in a corner trying to protect their lives. Okay, during their frenzy to kill MOVE members on August 8th, 1978, police shot and killed one of their own fellow officers, James Ramp, who was shot in the back of the neck with the bullet traveling downwards. MOVE people were six feet below street level when this officer was murdered. It was physically impossible for my nine family members all to have grabbed that gun and shot that cop in the back of the neck with the bullet traveling downwards. It's physically impossible. But nonetheless, they were tried and they were sentenced, each given 30 to 100 years, not for the crime that they were convicted of, but for being moved members. And you can look no further than the judge who presided over their trial, who stated on a radio show to Mumia Abu Jamal, I had famous idea who killed Officer James Rand. They said they were a family, so I'm sentencing them as a family, which goes to show they're in prison for nothing more than being MOVE members and speaking out and fighting this system, fighting this very same injustices you see today with Michael Brown, with Eric Garner, with the Kai Gurley, with these cops murdering our children. <laughs> Brother, this is Johanan. Um, the... Uh, at the time when this happened, this was still under um, the uh, police commissioner uh, Rizzo, was it, the same time frame? Um, oh, under the Philadelphia mayor, Frank Rizzo. I mean, yeah, under under yeah, under Mayor Rizzo, I meant to say. Yes, sir. Okay. I was a little bit I was a little bit unsure. I didn't have it right in front of me, but I I remember when I first started getting information about this story, you know, years back. And then learning about him and his his antics and the you know dirty things he was up to or whatever. Then I know they also they had a black uh, man that was involved though. Uh, I thought he was the the mayor or police commissioner or something at the time too. Could you tell us a little bit about that? That actually went ahead with ordering the bombing. Yes, sir. Um, this was done by Mayor Wilson Good, the first ever black mayor in the city of Philadelphia. Wilson Good worked along with state and federal authorities on May 13, 1985, in a conspiracy to kill the MOVE organization. It was Wilson Good that ordered 
that bomb dropped on MOVE headquarters on May 13, 1985, and agreed to let the fire burn after the bomb was dropped to kill MOVE people. And the reason they did this, this system used Wilson Good as their hitman and put Wilson Good in office to orchestrate this thing so it wouldn't look like a race issue of an all-black family being murdered here. They tried to make it look like MOVE was the issue, but MOVE was not the issue. MOVE was out there demonstrating for the release of innocent MOVE people who had been in prison seven years already and to this day still in prison 37 years later and 30 years later after the bombing and murder of their family on May 13, 1985. And when I say family, some of the MOVE 9 children were in that house on May 13, 1985, and they were shot and killed and burnt to death by police. Mm. So somewhat similar to the situation we, we have today uh, with having a, a black president in office and then we see the, the turning up of, of uh, extrajudicial murders by law enforcement across the country of black, unarmed black folks, kind of a similar, kind of a similar circumstance. Yes, sir. This opened the stage for everything. Things haven't gotten better. They've gotten worse. And people are under the illusion of this black president would change things. Things have gotten worse since this man's gotten office. Just because he looks like us, they speak like us, sound like us, don't mean nothing. Because, one, for one, I never believed he would help us. But people are seeing, especially the black community, the Latino community, the poor white community, they have all seen how this man has turned their back on them. He's taking orders, and he's afraid to stand up for anything. He's trying to protect his political status. Now, well, one, this, one of the, I'm sorry, go ahead. if I ask you a question? Sure. Um, first of all, thank you for being here and sharing your story and wisdom with us, uh, certainly. When you guys first uh, originally started the MOVE family, wasn't there quite a bit of protesting going on, and that was part of the things you were doing? At, uh, during that time, there was someone, I believe, who had been unjustly incarcerated or beaten up or something like that, and you were trying to tell your community what was going on uh, in the earlier stages? Yes, Because uh, I'm kind of seeing it repeat right now with the groups that are forming and going to extremes like walking in the restaurants and shutting people's restaurants down and shutting highways down and they're forming these groups of protest groups and I would hate to see the same circumstances unfold in any other city. Well, what they do is, you know, they always try to make it look like it's the protesters that's the problem or the people that's speaking out that's the problem. But what are causing, what is the conditions that are causing people to speak out? that are causing people to protest and to block traffic. It's the injustice that's going on out here. And people are fed up and dissatisfied with this. That's why they're out there protesting. So they always, that's the system's tactic, to point their finger at the protester and make them look crazy, just like they tried to do the move in the 70s. But you have to right, look at right. what is the reason that's causing people to protest. Um, if you if you would again, I'm I'm more familiar with this story than uh, you know I, I guess most are. Um, but can you you know I want to focus on the system for a second before you know uh, we talk about the specific circumstances and the call of action that you know we want people to take on on behalf of, of Brother Philip Africa. Uh, but haven't can you tell them about how these 
these Move 9 members have come up for parole. Uh, they were just eligible after 25 years. They've come up for, for parole, even with recommendations from prison officials in how the system still wants to hold them in prison. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, sir. In 2008, MOVE members um, came before the parole board after serving 30 years of their minimum sentence, of a 30 to 100-year sentence, and they became parole eligible. I'm just going to lay it on the line. From 2008 up until December 2014, MOVE members have been denied consistently every time going before the board. And like you stated, they have been given recommendations from the wardens and superintendents of these institutions that they're in. They all have employment and housing plans set up for them upon their arrival back to the community. Okay, They've had hundreds, if not thousands, of letters of support in parole for, for them. But all of this has been overlooked by the PA Parole Board, who have resentenced them, given them two-year parole hits, three-year parole hits. The longest now, our brother Michael Africa, was just denied in December and given a five-year hit. Can you okay? tell them what that means? What a that hit means? That he wouldn't be eligible for parole again until another five years. Okay. Now, and this what, like, go I'm ahead, sorry, Max. Go ahead. I was just going to ask what I mean. So, what is that like? A some type of a, a petty infraction they try to throw it, you know, yeah. at an it. Not even, no, sir. Not even a petty infraction. These parole parole is supposed to be based on your prison record in prison and your accomplishments. Our family have kept down gang violence in the prisons. They have mm -hmm. kept down racial violence. They have helped inmates fight alcoholism, drug abuse. They have helped. Mothers reestablish relationships with their children on the outside have helped fathers reestablish relationships with their children on the outside. Not only have they helped inmates, but they have helped staff members as well, from husbands who was going home abusing their wives. Move people worked with these guards in there, okay, and stopped them from beating and being abusive to their mates and helping them have strong marriages. You know, they've been a major impact on the prison system, okay? So this is more than enough that warrants a person to be paroled. But the reason they're not being paroled is because the parole board are taking orders from the fraternal order of police who are lobbying a campaign to keep innocent move people in prison. They're saying because our family won't admit guilt for a crime that they was committed of, that's why they won't parole them, even though they're innocent. You cannot make an innocent person guilty. And that's not a line. requirement for parole, is it? Not at all. Mm -hmm. Not at all. This is a stipulation that they keep running. And they can't break our family. That's why they're mad, giving them one-year hits, three-year hits, and now giving Michael a five-year hit. Now, can you talk to people about um, the call to action on behalf of uh, William Phillips Africa. What's, what's going on with, with uh, Brother Phil? Um, Brother Phil basically for the past two weeks has been having stomach pains, you know, minor upset stomach, what appears to be a stomach virus that's escalated for the past two weeks. That's turned into diarrhea, 
that's turned into vomiting. So upon Saturday, you know, he spoke to people and let them know he was going to the infirmary. People went up to see him on Sunday. He told people, come up, pull me out, you know. Um, him and Delbert Africa are cellmates. And, you know, Phil was down in the infirmary when they were called for the visit. Um, Delbert was allowed to come out for the visit because him and Phil have joint visits. And Delbert was allowed out. And the people who came that was on Delbert's list, they was allowed to see Delbert. But the two people that pulled down Phil for the visit, they was not allowed in. They was told that Phil was in the infirmary. He couldn't get no visits. So they weren't allowed to go into prison for the visit, but um, Delbert had a visit. So upon going back after the visit, you know, Delbert thought Phil was still in the infirmary. He was coming back. And Delbert got information that Phil was shipped out to an outside hospital. And when Delbert called home to inform people about this, it was figured that during the visit is when they shipped Phil out. And since then... We have not, Delbert has not seen Phil since Saturday, and we have not heard from our brother Phil since Saturday. All we know is that he was shipped out to Wilkes-Barre General Hospital in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and we cannot get no information regarding our brother. They're saying that he does not have a phone in his room. He's not being allowed to make a call. He's being held incommunicado. They're saying that only his family members can speak to him, We've been his family for over 40 years now, and they're saying it has to be a, a close relative. His wife wanted to move nine, Janine Africa. She's the next of kin. We had arrangements made that where she can get information pertaining to this. Prison officials are saying that they will not give Janine no information. It has to be a blood relative. But she has been married to Phil for over 40 years now. Damn. They are playing every game possible. They're using this thing about they have to uphold the law as far as HIPAA. This system has never cared. They have broken every law when it came to the MOVE organization. And we're not going to sit here and be bullied or kept in the dark by some law called HIPAA, some man-made law. We believe in the law of God, the true law of self, not this system and this law that they're pushing. You know, this is a very dangerous situation. The issue of medical neglect and medical torture is running rampant across the prison system in the U.S., especially as it relates to our political prisoners. Up until this day, this was Sunday, Phil was shipped out. To this day, we still do not have no word on the status or the being of our brother. He could be dead for all we know right now. And Pennsylvania prison officials are playing games, and we're not going for this. We want to know what's going on with our brother. How how can our listeners and uh, members of our group assist um, assist you all in uh, finding out this information? What what exactly? I, I mean, break it down for us because, like you said, you know they are saying that they're only going to give information to blood relatives, so we don't expect them to give us any information. But what 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 should we do, and why should we do it? You know. Yes, sir. Well, because this is about Phil's life. This is the life of one of our political prisoners. Our sister Merle Africa died in prison under mysterious circumstances in March 1998 at the State Correctional Institution in Cambridge Springs, Pennsylvania. 
and not another MOVE member is going to die on site in these prisons. You know, we lost people like Albert Noah Washington in New York to medical neglect, Richard Williams in the prison system to medical neglect, you know, Bashir Hamid in New York to medical neglect. We're not accepting this, and you shouldn't accept it neither. I know I don't accept it. Oh, go ahead, Max. I'm sorry. I just look at this as a continuation of the type of petty tortures that they would do to destroy people. Even if the person who hated that person is dead, their sons or their associates carry it on. It's how we ended up seeing Herman Wallace spend 40 years in solitary confinement, or how we've seen uh, Brother Rainey be uh, boiled alive. These are things, the extremes that our so-called leadership goes to in order to enact some kind of strange sense of vengeance for something that never freaking happened to begin with. Exactly. It's just criminal on every aspect and every level. That's why we push as abolitionists to end this period. We don't want to reform it anymore. We want this over by any means necessary. We want our people released from these prisons. We want to see you free now, (laughs) not tomorrow. We don't want two to come out, but you keep 3,000. We want them all out. Right. Uh, just even earlier today, I was listening to uh, to the Florida State Senate. Uh, they had a meeting Monday where they were talking about it's a subcommittee that was talking about uh, you know incarceration and, and the healthcare issue came up, um, abuses. Uh, Florida is is one of the leading states in uh, inmate mortality. I mean, they've they've got hundreds of of open investigations of uh, inmates that have that have died in custody. So this was all, you know, something that they're discussing. And even in their committees, the presenters that were coming, speaking to them, were talking about this is something that's going on all over the country. Like you said, brother, this is this is something that state by state, we're seeing this in California, we're seeing this in Washington State, obviously in Pennsylvania, we're seeing this in, in New York, the Rikers situation coming to a head. So uh, what they were finding, though, what one of the presenters brought up, though, is that in Florida, and I'm sure this is a state-to-state, uh, you know, reality. But in Florida, uh, she brought up the specific state, uh, the statute that speaks to how it is a felony to uh, not give a person because they were talking about mental health issues and people that are being put in solitary and people that are not being given, you know, their medication, all the way up to people that have different types of cancers that are not getting treatment. So on and on, when they're denying people medical he- medical care. This is actually felonious behavior, um, and again, this is state to state, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's in Pennsylvania as well. I will continue to, to research and find what specific laws they're breaking, but, but these are felonies. And right there in front of this, the uh, Senate, the uh, state senators, they were discussing this, and the state senators came back immediately and said, well, that's something we'll have to look into because uh, if it is some sort of medical negligence, I mean, I would, I would imagine it should be, uh, it is probably a civil matter for one, but I would imagine at best it could be a mis- maybe a misdemeanor, but I'm not sure it's a felony. And this woman is reading them the Florida statute that's already the law. So we find this is a systematic uh, denial and what is allowing them to continue the slavery and continue the torture and the way that they're treating us and discarding us, you know, until we, until we die in the system. I mean, even in the elected officials sitting there listening to the law, this man said, well, no, I don't believe it's a felony. It's probably something that's, that's a misdemeanor. 
Yes, yeah, indeed. we're dealing with people who would bomb an entire neighborhood, you know. Right. And this is historical. This is how they do it. And if I'm correct, at the end of that all, they uh, uh, sent a lot of the people who had lost their homes off to an animal preserve. Am I correct about that? Uh-huh. They had set up some land on an animal preserve for them to come and stay afterwards. I believe that was also in the Let, it, Let the Fire Burn movie. But nonetheless, these are the type of people that we're dealing with. So to expect logic from this is almost ridiculous. In the meantime, this brother's here is dying, and nobody even knows what's going on. And that's part of the torture they're instilling upon us. We don't need to tell you nothing. That's, we'll make your family members hurt. And to keep you out and away from them is the equivalent of keeping an adoptee away from their adopted parents on the, if, if they're ill or tragically hurt like that. So... Indeed. How can how can people take action? I know I'm on uh, on a move, o n a move dot com, on a move dot com, and I'm uh, looking at um, the uh, post that's titled "Feel Africa Urgent Medical Situation," and uh, I believe you you want people to make a phone call, and, and what should we say when we call? Yes, sir. Well, tomorrow uh, we're going to update the information again tonight. But I'm going to provide people with the numbers. We have called SCI Dallas all day to the superintendent's office, and we're giving a runaround, and they're lying. We've given them every chance to give us this information. Now we're stepping it up. Tomorrow, we're calling the secretary, the commissioner of the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections, and we're starting to put pressure on them over the issue of our brother Phil Africa. And I would like to provide the listeners with this man's name and number. Please. Um, his name is John Wetzel. Again, that's John Wetzel. I'll spell it. The last name is W-E-T-Z-E-L. And he is the secretary, the commissioner of the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections. And he can be reached at 717-728-2500. Again, his name is John Wetzel, and he can be reached at 717-728-2573. Call John Wetzel tomorrow in regards to William Phillips Africa. Again, our brother's name is William Phillips Africa, and his DIN number is AM-4984. Again, Phil's number is AM-4984. Call in regards and let them know. Let Phil be allowed to call his family and tell the Department of Corrections to tell us what's going on with Phil. Phil is under their care, so they're responsible for Phil and his well-being. Okay? We need John. We need them to give us immediate answers into what's going on with our brother Phil. And his wife, Janine, needs to be informed. Up until tonight, we found out prison officials have still not released no information to Phil's wife, Janine, his wife of 40 years. Okay? So we need people to flood the DOC headquarters tomorrow at 717-728-2573 and demand that Phil be allowed to make a call so we can know of our brother's well-being and that we be allowed to know what's going on with our brother as well. Are there, are there any spaces on online uh, where people can keep up um, with this case and, and just an entire Move 9 family in period, uh, period in general. Um, it, it, Facebook pages, uh, websites, any of that information you'd like to give out? 
Yes, sir. We have three sites in which people can go on. They can go to www.onamove.com. Okay, again, that's www.onamove.com. Or they can go to move9paroleblogspot.com. Again, that's move9paroleblogspot.com. Or if you're on Facebook, you can go to our new page called Justice for the Move 9 on Facebook. Again, that's Justice for the Move 9, and that's on Facebook. And the info, new information is going to be put up within the next hour regarding all of this. So we're asking people to keep up with what's going on, and please make those calls tomorrow on our brother's behalf. Well, Brother Ori, um, certainly our door is always open. Um, of course, you know, you always welcome uh, on Political Prisoner Radio and certainly New Abolitionist Radio because this is related um, to 21st century human trafficking and slavery. And whenever um, we as new abolitionists can help those who are enslaved, uh, especially those un enslaved unjustly, you know, uh, we take it upon ourselves to do what we can. Did you have any thoughts in closing? Uh, my thoughts are out I just want to share this. Keep the fight up. They don't dictate what happened. We dictate what happened, and we're in control of this situation here. So let's keep the pressure on these officials over our brother Phil. Most definitely. Thank you, Brother Ori. And thank you all for having me. On the move. On the move. Move. Um, guys, we'll, do we want to take a break here? Man, I don't. I guess we. I guess we should. It's, I mean, what can you say after hearing that, man? Just to, to continually denying everybody parole, continuing to just abuse. I mean, this is a thirty-year just hate crime, a perpetual hate crime, perpetual terrorism. Most definitely, and, and you know, I wanted him to really point out the fact that it's very rare where you even have prison officials going to bat for you. And telling right. the parole board, you know, that these people uh, have been nothing, you know, but but an asset, you know, to the other prisoners as well as to the staff. They've never been in trouble. Now, I mean, think about how, how hard that is to be in prison over 30 years and never get in trouble and have a clean record, you know, because trouble has a way of finding you in certain in certain places so that's remarkable but even more remarkable is the fact that this system that these police that the uh, parole board which i believe does have former cops on it you know will continue to punish these people uh despite you know the fact that even the system the prison uh overseers are saying they should be let out i mean how often do we come on with stories like that about prisoners yeah. So, Max, do we got you on the line still? You might have dropped. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me now? I Thanks. think I'm okay. muted myself. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, I'm still here. Sorry about that. Well, uh, should we take our break and uh, come back and discuss it? Uh, yes, we should uh, come back and uh, jump on our next story. Okay, sounds good. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Barthes, Scotty Reed, and Harmon Elia. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Brother Elliot. 
outpost of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Radio. Just to reiterate how you can help uh, with Brother William Phil Africa, you can call com- uh, Commissioner John Wetzel, W-E-T-Z-E-L, at 717-288-2573 tomorrow. And uh, it's, I believe, for Brother Phil Africa, the AM number is 4, it's AM-4984. Is that correct, Scotty? Uh, that's what he gave, but I was kind of conflicted yes. about that because on the website it says 74. But the, he said he was going to put new updated information on the Facebook page, so I would default to that. I think he said he'll okay, have it I, up in the hour. I provided our listeners and viewers with a link to their website, so you can go ahead and keep up to date what's going on. You know, recently I found a map that was created uh, that shows how many prisoners are in each state across the Union uh based on per 100,000. Now, they used a particular criteria for it, which I'll, I'll read to you a little bit of, but just the idea that you could just now look <laughs> and see how bad it is. You know, and we often compare and we talk about how, you know, U.S. is the number one uh, enslavement, prison enslavement uh, state in the, in the world, the, the largest prison enslaver, and how for every four prisoners across the uh, across the globe, the United States has one of them right here. Twenty five percent of all prisoners. But there's this map. We just put it on the website, man, and it shows you right there. I'll read uh, what they use as a criteria. It says to create the map below, we use the U.S. prisoner population estimates from the Bureau of Just Justice Statistics. Their most recent survey reports final counts of prisoners under the jurisdiction of state and federal correctional authorities. On December 31st, 2013. Um, now, just so uh, you understand, that didn't mention any inclusion of private prisons, and it didn't mention uh, the uh, situation with immigrants on the border. It didn't mention that, nor did it mention youth detention facilities. So the numbers that you're going to see are very likely at least 30% higher than what you actually see on this map. And local jails as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we didn't count local jails because just last year, 13 million people went through the local jails. 13 mm-hmm. million. And I also just want to thank Global Post who put this together. Uh, it was posted Indeed. on Raw Story where we've linked to, and they got permission from Global Post to uh, post this. And so we want to recognize, because there are a lot of people, more than I realize, who are engaged in this. And they may not even consider themselves to be abolitionists, but they are engaged in abolitionist work. And uh, But I have a question, Max. Um Yes, sir. I'm looking at these numbers, all right? For for example, I'm looking at my own state of North Carolina, and it says 387. So I know that doesn't mean there's 387 people uh, that are enslaved in North Carolina. What does that mean? That means that 387 per 100,000 of your population. So for whatever your population total is, it's 387 per uh, 100,000. Mm-hmm. And these are the incarceration rates. Uh, so per 100,000, 307 
87 get arrested. And just to put it in kind of a perspective, for instance, uh, the state of Idaho has an uh, incarceration rate of 482 per 100,000, which is more than the country of Belize, which has 476. Many of our states, just our states, not the whole country, just the states, have higher incarceration rates than many nations across the globe. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm in Kansas, and it's um, we're at 342 for 100,000, and that's more than the entire nation of Belarus. I mean, right. Lithuania, Costa Rica, Iran, Chile, Guyana, Singapore, Israel. I mean, again and again, all these countries that are entire nations less people in prison than just my state in Kansas is a perceivably conservative state for, you know, numbers of mass incarceration. This is not even considered to be like a high prison rate, you know, state. It definitely is a free state, you know, so when we talk about slavery, we've discussed the abolitionism stories that, uh, that you know, go right through the state of Kansas, and so no one here would ever consider what's really going on, but we have CCA facilities here that are absolutely involved in, in prison slave labor, so... Yeah, as a total, uh, the United States is 721. And just to put that in perspective, as a total, China is 124. China, which has a billion people, is 124. Canada is 118. India is 30. Japan is 63. Germany is 88. And, you know, but when you're comparing those things, uh, I pointed out to someone else recently, it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges. See, these other countries that we surpassed just with one state, actually have some kind of a working justice system, whereas we have a slave trade, which is a front for a, ju or a justice system, which is a front for a slave trade. Mm -hmm. I mean, we recently gave you the information about how uh, incarcerating youths now have gone to the point where it's $352,000 a year just to incarcerate one young person in New York. It's 162000 a year here in South Carolina. Those are reasons for people to go out and start hunting people. And that's why we have 721 compared to China's 124. You know, and let me also reiterate that point that you're making, Max, when you say those other countries have perhaps a justice system, a real justice system. I don't know what they would call it, but, you know, in terms of how we understand things and the words we use, they have a justice system where we have a system of slavery, a system of human trafficking and slavery. And, you know, I thought it was important that you mentioned how many people went through jails, you know, because that also generates revenue, you know, for, for uh, different people. But also, just looking outside of, in addition to the private prisons, uh, where you can invest in them on Wall Street, you know, once again, Wall Street's back into the human trafficking and slavery business since Ronald Reagan, uh, they have been allowed uh, back in. But also, when you have a system that depend that um, creates jobs by enslaving people, then, you know what I'm saying, that's sick. And, you know, there was a video of what's his name down there Rick Scott the governor of Florida and and yes. then George Zoli had that fundraiser and somebody ambushed him and asked him you know and I'm paraphrasing but you know don't you think it's wrong for you to be here you know this man is in the in the uh, prison business why are you here and they look at look at people like George Zoli 
and Rick Scott's exact words was, he's a job creator. He's a job creator. So uh, uh, that's one of the things when they talk about job creation on your political news talk radio shows or, you know, on MSNBC, on Fox News, and they talking about the economy and they talking about how many jobs were created. It's funny how they never mention, you know, how many of those jobs depend upon the enslavement of other human beings. And again, we are not talking about the incarceration of rapists, murderers, robbers, home invaders, carjackers, child molesters, people. Like, we're not talking about those, all right? We're talking about the vast majority of the prison population, which is people who have been enslaved over nonviolent so-called drug crimes at a point in time where you have a majority of states in the country that have legalized cannabis, and you got people making so much money in Colorado and other states that they have legalized it recreationally for a number of years now, they got so much money they don't know what to do with it all. Literally. It's, it's pathetic, they literally man. don't know what to do with the cash because it's still not federally uh, decriminalized. Oh, but they so, working on that. They working on that, Johanna. Uh, right. Congress has already uh, introduced a bill which is expected to pass if it hasn't passed already. Um, by the last Congress, it certainly will be passed by this Congress, but they have already introduced legislation to decriminalize those, let's just call them drug dealers. Right. Know, right. My point states. about the money, though, like when you said they don't they got so much money, they don't know what to do with it. That was my point, is that it's right. not federally decriminalized yet, so the FDIC won't allow them to keep uh, to, you know, bank accounts, and so they literally do not know what to do with all the cash. I've been watching some of these programs. Uh, I think CNBC has one they've got that's uh, called Pot Barons, and it just shows all these white folks that, you know, jumped in the, in the marijuana business in Colorado. And these people are literally generating tens and some of them hundreds of millions of dollars. They cannot get enough product. They cannot stay open long enough in the day. They cannot move their cash fast enough because it's just a straight cash business. And they don't know what to do with the money. So you're right. They, I mean, it's a, it's a case of literally making more money than they know what to do with. And that's crazy because you still got a state with prisons of the jails, state prisons, the federal prisons. However, people were able to get into the system. They were able to criminalize tens of thousands of people over the last decades that are still serving time. And now this is not even a, even a, a, a against the law anymore. Plus, people are generating billions of dollars off of it. Yeah. So, yeah, sick, man. And, and also, your honey. But also, I want to reiterate that Congress is passing legislation that will allow them to have those bank accounts, and then they'll be able to swipe your credit cards and all of that. So they're moving on that, but we can't even get the DEA to remove cannabis off the scheduled list of drugs. Right. Sickening, Yeah, man. and in the meantime, you got SWAT teams raiding people's houses <clears throat> for DUI warrants <laughs> yeah. and tearing their house to like a tornado hit it. They drove the freaking truck through the house to serve a warrant for DUI. That's, yeah. that's the uh, that we got to deal with. Yep, many people that have been gunned down by police, tased to death, strangled to death, everything else, or just from interactions that had to do with a dime bag of weed. Some some 
some drug user pointed the finger at some person they said was selling, and so then the police got a warrant, kicked in the door, come in the house and shoot and kill. I mean, Ayanna Jones, this is a similar situation with her. There's dozens and dozens like what killed seven-year-old Ayanna Jones laying asleep on her couch was a simple drug warrant that wasn't even at the right address, wasn't even for the right person. So these are things that spiral out, you know, not just these, these things that we're talking about here specifically, but just the spiral out of it and how it affects so many people's lives. If somebody does just get, we'll just say just, quote-unquote, get shot, look at how many people that affects in their family that have to take care of that person and the, and the costs the medical care and all of that. I was watching a program on Al Jazeera just the other day that was talking about the millions of dollars that each individual costs the taxpayers that gets shot. When that original trauma happens and the, and the surgeries and the hospital stay and the medications and the therapies, a lot of these people don't have any kind of health insurance. So you get shot by a cop on a, on a, a weed warrant and end up spending the next two or three years in, in some kind of therapy and trying to get better, maybe you don't ever really truly heal, and your entire family's affected by that. And the, and the taxpayers are affected by the cost that we have to pay for the health care. So this whole system is generating trillions of dollars, because each thing that we talk about on this program is a billion dollars and a tens of billion dollars and a hundreds of billion dollars type of operations, whether it's the policing or the private prisons or the labor that they're able to steal from the from the private sector and force it to be in, in behind bars or slavery. If it's the health care that, that comes about, the people that have to have their health care come through the state. If it's civil suits when they're trying to catch people and put them in, in on the slave plantation. Civil suits of people that are wrongfully abused or killed. Police criminality. On and on and on. All aspects of this system generates billions and billions of dollars, people. And this country is so many, however many trillions in debt, and we're steadily, we got holes in our boat this big that we choose to have, that we just got money pouring out of it everywhere, and the people wonder why you can't get ahead, why your 401k can't yield results where you can actually retire. People working until they're 70, 80 years old because they can't afford to live. Our system is full of holes. Most definitely. Um, wow. Well, we just hope, man, that people that are listening to this program, people that have joined in, by the way, uh, welcome to all the new members who have recently joined our Facebook group, Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery. And, um, I, you know, I, I just hope that you are moved to, in the very least, have a conversation, you know, with your family members that slavery was never abolished and that, you know, what Michelle Alexander calls mass incarceration is really just a continuation of slavery. Yes, they ramped it up since, you know, Nixon and it's continually to, you know, the uh, population keeps expanding exponentially. Um, but, you know, at the very least, you should be having a conversation with your family members. And, you know, I hope that you will at least be moved like I am to start, you know, putting your foot on the necks of these representatives. I don't care if you vote or don't vote or anything like that. They still so-called represent your district. 
everybody in your district. And so you should be making some noise and, and, you know, letting them know that there is a new abolitionist movement underfoot here in the United States. And we are not just going to sit by quietly while you enslave, you know, all of our uh, family members and members of our community for no good reason other than your greed. Man, I, I get upset, man. Just to put the numbers in the context show. on that, Scotty. What's that? Mess? We mentioned 13 million. Just to put the numbers in the context on that, we mentioned that 13 million people went through our jails last year. Just referring to one year, last year, 2.4 million were incarcerated, and 8 million were other, under some form of supervision uh, directly by the prison industrial complex. That's 23.4 million people in one year that they profited off of. They profited off of 24 million people. There is no time in the history of American history that has ever been that bad. Even at the height of slavery, we didn't have that number of people in incarceration. Most definitely. And then even after they get out, you know, again, going back to slavery, you know, like somebody else pointed out to me or posted in one of the comments on our Facebook page. If y'all not following our Facebook page, New Abolitionist Radio, please do so. Uh, but somebody posted, you know, even once you get out, you're considered three-fifths a human being. So, man. Yes. Right. I believe the number was six million people have been denied the right to vote now. Uh, right to vote, uh, right to own firearms, yes. right to, you know, do a lot public he, assistance yeah loans all kinds of things yeah <laughs> the right to get a job that they were working while they were incarcerated for slave wages yeah mm-hmm. yeah imagine that hi I, I worked at the prison in la uh where we helped fight fires for 12 years and i uh, consider myself a veteran and i'd like to apply for a job sorry bro we can't hire prisoners right, <laughs> you know right. felons felons yeah we can't. You, you yeah, we can't hire Sorry about that. It's against our rules. I mean, that's <laughs> I a was good just fighting segue. the fire with you last week. I think that's a good segue into our next story. So we're gonna take a, a short break. If we sound a little different tonight, that's because you know NSA don't like the things we talk about, and we had technical issues once again. Uh, we wasn't late on air like we was last week, but we fight through them. And uh, we try to bring these broadcasts to you each and every week. So uh, we're going to take this short break, and then we'll come back and do a segue into the what what what's it called? The prison state of America. I think that's. Uh, you're talking article. about the, the Fed yes. fraternal order of police president calling on Congress yeah, yeah. to call hate crimes uh, to apply hate crimes to law enforcement. Wow, <laughs> I can't even get it out of my mouth. I just can't, dude. You had to read that one. We'll be right back after these messages. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. Abolition 
this radio where the next story is enough is enough. <laughs> that's oh, what no, man, said. that's the, not uh, the next one. We skipped what, one. What was that? I didn't hear you, Scotty. Say again. I said we skipped one, the prison state of America. Are we going to go to that okay, one next? All right. Yeah, let's yeah, go to that one because it, it, it ties into some of the things we were just talking about. Okay, right on. I think I might have misread it in the intro. Go ahead. Oh. This is uh this is what I found on uh, truthdig.com. Um, just going on about a lot of the things that we already discussed. Uh, we've already talked about with the uh, the the number of people that are incarcerated from state to state, and uh, we know the numbers as far as the. 25% of the world's prison population while only being 5% of the world's population as a, as a nation. Uh, so a lot of numbers that we already know. But some of the stuff that I found in here, and I shared with Max earlier this week, that really nails it down to uh, specific dollars and some of the policies that are imposed on, on inmates and these things that keep people um, in enslaved. So... Um, if we could just uh, just go to that again, it's it's on truthdig.org uh, by Chris Hedges. It's called the Prison State of America, and uh, I'll just read one section that, that really stood out to me about uh, the cost. It says fines, often in the thousands of dollars, are assessed against many prisoners when they're sentenced. And that you took, which are real, you know, real dollar amounts, and we already talked about how a person makes little to nothing. You know, while they're in prison, they make little to no no income for doing job. You know, work that would be a, a good paying job on the outside pays, you know, five cents or twenty two cents or something crazy an Slave hour. Wages. So uh, it says there's twenty two fines that can be imposed in New Jersey, uh, for example, including the Violent Crime Compensation Assessment, which is the VCCB, uh, the Law Enforcement Officers Training and Equipment Fund, the extradition costs. It says the state takes a percentage each month out of prison, out of prison pay, uh, to pay down a person's fines. And this process can take decades. For example, if a prisoner is fined ten thousand dollars at sentencing, he must rely solely on a prison salary. Uh, he or she will owe out about four thousand dollars after making payments for twenty-five years. Mm-hmm. So you get you get fined ten thousand dollars when you get sentenced to a twenty-five year sentence. And you work for 25 years in prison, and you come out and you owe $4,000 to the state. So if prisoners can leave prison in a, uh, in a debt-free state, uh, if they cannot continue to make regular payments, difficult, which is difficult because of high unemployment, they're, of course, sent back to prison. So high recidivism is a part of the design. It says uh, corporations have privatized most of the prison functions that were once handled by governments. The, the, uh, they run prison commissaries, and since prisoners have nowhere else to shop, they often jack up prices by as much as 100%. Corporations have taken over the phone systems and charge exorbitant fees to prisoners and their families. They grossly overcharge for money transfers from families to prisoners. Uh, with things that we've discussed on the abolitionist, uh, abolitionist radio and previous podcasts, um, and these corporations are some of the nation's largest, who pay little more than a dollar a day to prison laborers, slaves, who work in full-profit prison industries. Food and merchandise vendors, construction companies, laundry services, uniform companies, prison equipment vendors, cafeteria services, manufacturers of pepper spray, body armor, 
uh, an array of medieval instruments used for the physical control of prisoners, and a host of other contractors feed like jackals off these prisoners. Wait, wait a minute. They even make them use the weapons that's going to be used against them? Yes, they make them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's sick, man. It's sick. It's a reason why, why we come on here week after week spitting fire. It's a reason why you come on here and you're already on level 10 before we even get out the damn introduction. Because typically over the last seven days since the last time we did this program, you see very few people that are really picking up on what we're talking about until they're directly affected. You see very little to no mainstream media coverage of any of these things we discuss. Even today, like I said, I just watched the Florida state senators discussing the inmate mortality issue that they're having. They've had seven secretaries of the Florida Department of Corrections in the state of Florida in the last eight years. The new secretary, Julie Jones, who was just appointed by Rick Scott, the third or, third or fourth on his watch, and four, I think the third in his four years, mm-hmm. uh, she just started today, or Monday, and they're discussing how what they're doing down there is not really murder, how what they're doing down there is not really felonious, they're in denial. These are the st- senators of the state. Our former guest that was on this program, George Malacrat, he was on there, standing in front of him, telling him everything we talked about here, telling him everything he told us, and he witnessed with Darren Rainey. They had people coming out talking about the man getting boiled to death in front of state senators, and they sat there in denial and discussed how they could limit the budget. They got a $2 billion budget in the state of Florida, and they don't want to spend any money on taking care of these people's health care, so things like this, when the other side, when people are being enslaved and have, they have to make the tools that the people are going to use to beat them to death, and then you beat somebody to death, and you just go to another place to get a job in another prison, you're never brought up on any kind of charges, you're never suspended. This is sick, man. Yeah. It, yeah, it you is. know, it's part of it in that story where they was talking about, like, the Brewster's Millions thing. This guy, these... Uh, prison enslavers over a 10-year period spent $45 million just buying politicians. Now, I know the politically acceptable word is lobbying, but let's just keep it like it is and say they were buying politicians with $45 million. I don't care what my cause is. If you give me $45 million, I'm going to get my cause through. (laughs) You know, $45 million, and that's not, uh, you know, on any overhead or anything like that. That's simply buying politicians, lobbying. And, and, and sadly, though, Max, and we've had conversations about this offline about, you know, doing fundraisers and stuff. You know, I had a fundraiser, of what, a year ago or so, just to, you know, for a propaganda campaign, just to get the message out there about the 13th Amendment, because you'd be surprised how many people read the 13th amendment and i shared the video in our group move to abolish 21st century slavery as well as on other facebook pages where this guy reads the 13th amendment and still doesn't make the connection 
that slavery was never abolished. I mean, he even puts it up on the screen for people to see, and he still doesn't yep. make the connection that slavery was never abolished. And, and so when I tried, you know, I was able to raise about $200 for that media campaign. I spent it all on Facebook ads just to get the message out there. Now, you think about, you know, what the Corrections Corporation of America spending. You think about what, you know, uh, uh, the GEO Group is spending and all, all these others you know uh smaller companies that we don't even know the names of and they're spending like uh you just said you know hundreds of millions if not billions of dollars on bribing these these people i'm starting to, these politicians i'm starting to think the only way that we're going to truly abolish slavery is another civil war is that what it's going to take a shooting war to actually abolish slavery. They fooled us the last time, and they said that they had abolished slavery. And so every soldier that died, thinking that he was dying to free the enslaved Africans, was betrayed, okay, by Lincoln and that guy Charles Sumner or whatever his name that's credited with getting the 13th Amendment through. They got to put that big old exception clause in there, which was a concession to the former Confederate states. It was a wink and a nod that we're going to say we're abolishing slavery, but we're not actually going to abolish it. What you're going to have to do is pass laws and convict these people of crimes, and then you can put them in the prison. Then you can lease them right back out to your plantations. You know, I'm outraged at this, man. And when I hear about, you know, the money that is behind making sure that slavery continues in this country, you know, uh, I don't think I, I don't think that there is any extreme action anyone can take when we're facing down this sort of evil in this country in this day and age. I'm sorry, guys. It's almost like the 13th Amendment was a, a, a kind of a stalling action kicking the can generations down the line. Like, you know, we're going to get over right now. We're going to set this up, and some generations down the line, they're going to wake up and realize what we did to them. And they're going to go right back to here, 1865, and a civil war about to start. So you may be right. It may take that. But I like to think that it might not, that it's possible because out of 320 million people, I very much doubt if the majority of them are slavers or slavery supporters Maybe in the tens of millions, but I doubt if it's anywhere near even uh, 20% or maybe even less than 10%. Well, you may be right, but when you got all these armed uh, slave catchers running the streets, yeah, y'all call them cops. We call them slave catchers because that's where they came from, and that's what they do today. You know, that's about it's about a million of them, I think, in this country. And we'll talk about uh, the largest police union here in the nation in, in just a bit. But then how many prison guards do you have? You know what I'm saying? It's people that's profiting yeah. off of this, man, that may not even know it. You know what I'm saying? I like, for example, I'm not calling anybody out, but I got an email about business black business investing so they they sent me this email publicizing they were going to have this conference call or some sort of event to talk about pooling black you know dollars together and investing you know in things and so i've sent them an email back and i said well i hope that your investments are slavery free that you're not investing in these retail giants like Walmart and others that use prison labor. I hope that you're not 
investing in the geo group and the correction corporations of america and so i'm like i'm all for you know uh us pooling our resources together and and you know trying to get a, re, uh, a roi return on investment but i am not about to be investing in other people's enslavement and our own enslavement i that was like three days ago i have yet to get a reply so I hope that the reason I haven't gotten a reply is they're doing their research to make sure they're not investing in slavery. So what I said all that to say is it's a lot of people, man, that are dependent upon slavery to have a job to, you know, yep. again, it's one of the pillars of this economy. It has yep. been since this country's founding. And so we're going to have to, man, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting upset again. But let listen. Here's something from the article that stood out to me. And, you know, it lets me know that we are getting our message out there of new abolitionism, the need to start a new abolitionist movement. Because, you know, before we started, when we first started doing this program, how long we been on the air, guys? What, three years, two uh, years? Doing, well, on the air? Yes, with this well, yeah, program. Yeah, you can say that. We've seen three of them. Okay. Right. So before we started doing this program and even after our first year doing this program, I was not seeing the mainstream media and p other people like Truth Dig and, and these other Chris Hedges. I think is this the same Chris Hedges that hosts the MSNBC show. I believe so. Yeah. But we were not seeing them. Glasses and bald and done. Say that again. The, with glasses balding i don't know if he's balding but he kind of looks like the male version of uh what's her name <laughs> she also got a show <laughs> on there the girl show rachel maddow <laughs> yeah yeah no but, you're thinking of the young guy that's chris hayes oh his name is chris hayes oh, okay, yeah, yeah okay that's so right. no it's not the same person i was thinking of then but anyway right chris hayes is another guy yeah anyway we, I remember even when they were doing like, you know, the June, was it the celebration around the 13th, of, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, and people were writing about the 13th Amendment, and we was pointing out how they were only publishing, I'm talking about these mainstream articles, were only publishing half of the 13th Amendment and leaving out the exception clause, and, and we just wasn't seeing it. You know, but in this particular, what stood out to me in this Truth Dig article, and I'll just read this par this paragraph, but it does mention the Thirteenth Amendment, and so let let me uh, find that again. Uh, let me see where is that at. I'm trying to do my speed reading trick here because I know I just saw it. Man, that is a big block of text, man. That was one of the things that imposed okay, me. I'm is. like, I got to sit down for ten minutes and check this out. Here it go. Here it go. Our prison industrial complex, which holds 2.3 million prisoners, or 25% of the world's prison population, makes money by keeping prisons full. It demands bodies, regardless of color, gender, or ethnicity. As the system drains the pool of black bodies, it has begun to incarcerate others, women, the fastest growing segment of the prison population are swelling prisons, as are poor whites in general, Hispanics and immigrants. Prisons are no longer a black and white issue, 
prisons are a grotesque manifestation of corporate capitalism. Slavery is legal in prisons under the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. It reads, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. And the massive U.S. prison industry functions like the forced labor camps that have existed in all totalitarian states. So there you go, 13th Amendment uh, in full context put put into this article, and I'm happy to see that. And I've seen, you know, in comments of different articles I've read, more and more people mentioning the 13th Amendment. And that could just be some of our fellow new abolitionists that's part of our group because, you know, we post the articles and then for people to see, and they're probably all hitting that comment section, and they're mentioning the 13th Amendment and how slavery was never abolished. But I'm starting to see more and more of that enter into the mainstream conversation. And, and propaganda is a tool of warfare, and we need y'all to wage that propaganda war, as well as, you know, the war out in the streets. Yeah, you're you're uh, absolutely right about that, there, Scotty. If you go to the government website for the Thirteenth Amendment, it has this big statement talking about how slavery was abolished by the Thirteenth Amendment, and it, that's in bold letters. And then they have it in small print, written out, so you can actually read it or not read it. As that gentleman from the uh, video, who was, uh, I guess, supposedly a historian, tried to express. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he read it, it though, I, Max. What do you call it? I, I keep forgetting it. Cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance. Yes, cognitive dissonance. It's, it's the kind of stuff where somebody's trying to tell you that your spouse of 30 years is cheating on you, and you're like, no, nah, she ain't doing that. I, I, I don't believe that. No. And then you think they're just hating on you, and then you find out it's real, and then your whole life changes immediately. Mm -hmm. Just because you realized it was real. Mm -hmm. And I hope the guy who made that video, and he even posted in his video, the text of the 13th Amendment, while he was reading it, but still he concluded that slavery was abolished in 1865. And I hope he read the comments uh, we left for him, because I saw you commented it as well, Max. And you know that yeah, he, he said one issues thing in particular that messed me up. He said, there is no constitutionalized legal, uh, there is no legalized how did he say it? I don't want to paraphrase him, I want to get it just right. He said that there is no constitutional legality for slavery. Period. Mm -mm -mm. And it's right there in the 13th Amendment. He just read it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about the interrupting, but that was the one that caught me. Like, you just said it, dude, and it's right there like you didn't see it. Like, that big-ass exception clause is invisible to you. Mm -mm -mm. Well, we here to wake them up and shake them up and let them know. You know, and, um... And let the chips fall where they're where they're made. But you know, I'm I'm serious though. I'm wondering what is it going to take because we I don't want people to think that this is going to be an easy fight. You know, and I don't want people to think that oh, all you got to do is call your representative and no, 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 no. We are up against the tremendous forces of evil in this country, and so it may come down to a shooting war, man. I'm serious. It may come down to a shooting war. And if it comes down to that, then so be it. 
you know, because like you mentioned, Max, it's more people enslaved now on prison plantations than it was uh, in 1864 on cotton plantations. That's it. I think what you're saying is true, Scotty. I believe it. And, you know, I mean, I don't don't think anyone wants to go on record and knowing you being surveilled and listened to and everything, and nobody wants to be that guy that goes ahead and just says that it's, it is what it is. But, I mean, all we can do is present the evidence. And if we present the evidence and you see no action or very little action or only grassroots-level action but no real national legislation, no political candidates running uh, speaking about it, or it's not even required to be on their list of things that they will address, but we're talking about multi-billion-dollar operations, that says a lot to me. Because there's not a whole lot that people are, are involved in that's generating billions and hundreds of billions of dollars that doesn't, number one, doesn't affect millions and millions of people. There's very few things that that, that are, you know, so if, if you're doing something that's making that much money, it's affecting a lot of people. And if you can show the evil that's inherent to that thing, if Google was causing cancer, let's say, and it's as popular as it is, but if they were showing proof that, man, you know, as popular as it is and you love to go ahead and just use Google and get what you need and you're in and out and Google, Google, whatever is great, it generates $50 billion a year, but 25% of the people that use it die from cancer every year. It would be something people would give a damn about. It'd be like, man, I want to use it. It's good, but you see, it kills people. Prison is no different. What we're talking about is no different. State to state, the percentages of inmates that are dying in custody, the percentage of people that are being murdered in custody, the percentage of people that are being raped in custody, the percentage of people that are being enslaved, and forced to do labor. And we just told you, you can work 25 years in prison and come out owing the state. So these are things that are detrimental to people's lives and are destroying communities. And we know this now. This is the systematic destruction of communities. And it's not something that's on the ballot. It's not something we just talked about. Rick Scott and Charlie Chris was running neck and neck down there in Florida. They've had seven Department of Corrections commissioners or secretaries in the last eight years. They've had 200 unexplainable murders of inmates in the last four or five years. They have an inmate mortality website, so you can just go point and click on the name and find out what happened to this guy. Oh, yeah, he uh, complained of having stomach pains for about six months, and then one day we went to his cell and he was dead. Oh, okay, well, what happened to this guy? Oh, well, he was, uh, we starved him for five days and kept him chained in a solitary cell, and he died. Oh, what happened to this guy? Oh, we put him in a, in a locked shower and turned the heat up to the water to 180 degrees and parboiled him. Oh, okay. You could just point and click and look at police snuff films, see the, see the uh, corrections officers killing people, see people making swords and walking around stabbing each other, looking up at the tower, asking the guard, is this the guy you want me to kill? The guard unlocking the cell, saying, go on in and kill that guy. Yep. State to state to state. But these are not issues that people care about. So when you say it's going to come down to Kip to a civil war or, or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. We're talking about Goldman Sachs is invested in this. The biggest banks. Bank Wall Street backbone. In Wells that same article, Fargo. it's saying that the CCA 
uh, are saying that uh, Airmark, where we talk about Airmark, provides the food in over 600 correctional institutions across the, the, the United States. So they had 600 prisons they serve food in. Was bought in 2007 for 8.3 billion dollars by by investors that included Goldman Sachs. We're talking about 45 million dollars spent in lobbying on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats. These are these are systematic things that are going on that run the country. So people are going to have to do more than read an article that we put a link to, or listen to our program, or go to a march. People are it's. You're going to have to pry slavery from America's cold, dead hands. It appears. I, I wanna, yeah. I wanna, and you, know, you don't know who to trust anymore. You're going to have to start depending on, trusting people that are doing right. Don't, you know, laws, there's plenty of times in this, in this nation's history when it was a good damn idea to break laws, you know, like <laughs> the Fugitive Slave Law Act. For instance, it was a good damn idea to break, break laws, and you don't know who to trust. Just a story just popped up on my network today about the former head of cybersecurity for the United States, uh, Homeland Security, getting 25 years for planning to violently rape and murder children. Apparently, he was using the same technology that they were using for HHS cybersecurity programs to foster an enterprise of uh, child endangerment child abuse, child pornography on a global level. So these are the people that were looking into your backgrounds, the checking your emails, listening to your phone calls. He was in charge of all of that. Yeah. One thing that Johannes said that I want to really go back to, because uh, we don't want people to get the wrong idea that this is a partisan issue that, you know, the Charlie, uh, what's his the name? Uh, issue. Yeah, Rick Scott is a Republican, so it must be those evil Republicans, you know what I'm saying? No, it's on both sides of the aisle that are upholding slavery in this country. And, I, I again, I thought it was fascinating that Charlie Crist, the, the Democratic nominee, for uh, running against Rick Scott to be governor of Florida, did not. What did you just say, Johanna? You since Rick Scott's been in office, there's been seven different secretaries over the prison in eight years. Last eight years, there's okay. been seven in the last eight years, and he's appointed. This is his third in the fourth in four years. You got over two hundred unexplained murders of of, of of prisoners in the state, and Charlie Chris brings up none of this in his debates none of it what does that tell you well charlie Crist must support slavery because he didn't think it was an issue to bring up during this debate with rick scott so i'm like and it was close it, you know i felt like if it was the race was so close from what i read was that if he would have even brought that up, man, he might have won. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying, you know, he would have won, but I would have think, you know, he would have got a couple of view, uh, votes for being, you know, anti-slavery. But anyway, man, wow. We up against some evil forces. Yeah, it's, it's huge. We're talking about a half, well, I've estimated before, and it's probably more than that because of the new information that has come in, a half a trillion dollars a year globally that the, the this slave trade is generating. That is no joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? And again, I, I think I'm being conservative with it. When you start thinking about entire nations now have 
private prisons running their entire prison system, and that places like Haiti, which should be receiving help in rebuilding their nation after their earthquake, is instead receiving private prisons, and they're building prisons there so they can show them how to exploit those people and create an income through taxation. And create jobs. Yeah, and create jobs, enslaving your own people. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And we know about it. We study it. We research it every single day. We're in it and understand. And the brother we just talked to, brother Ori, we just we just spoke with him. They've been in it for thirty plus years. And the generation before them, they were in it. The generation before them were called up and didn't even have a voice. We talked about uh, the We Charge Genocide it was nineteen fifty one when they went to the UN and laid out the exact same complaints that we have this very day. In 1951, the generation before that, caught up in debt peonage. They didn't have a voice. It just keeps going on back until you get actual slavery, until you get to the actual civil war. It keeps going back generation to generation, the same exact problem. What's, 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 to, uh, what's to understand? What, what do we have to reveal to you? This is the, what's happening. It's real. Okay, well, it looks like we need to get to our next story, man, because this week, you know, with these topics, we could go on all day long. I, I believe that we will have one of the largest libraries of evidence, as you stated earlier, that can be used as testimony and physical evidence and documentary evidence in a trial uh, of a Nuremberg-like trial circumstance, if this should ever be put to that position. So I, I believe we have one of the largest collections of that that you're going to find. I'm, and I meant you know, what and, I asked you guys on Facebook earlier. Uh, yes, we do have an extensive library of documentation of these stories. We got guests coming on, experts, college professors, lawyers, people that teach law that telling you that slavery wasn't abolished, that Scotty, Johanan, and Max aren't crazy, that they are actually right about the 13th Amendment, legalizing slavery, but we got to condense it. Uh, you know, I had asked you guys, I got a lot of work to do, you know, in terms of uh, the Black Talk Media Project and the Black Talk Radio Network. And um, I got some new clients, and as soon as I, you know, get ahead of some of this work, um, I want to put together a pamphlet, a pamphlet, so that it will be information in a condensed form with the strongest evidence that slavery was never abolished that I can go you know to the local representative's office the local senate's office uh, I think my state senator live in the next town over I can get his address I know how to get all of that and so and, and so I could slap him in the face with this pamphlet so I you know when this idiot starts talking to me well I don't think slavery exists that's why we don't see plantations in the south with black people picking cotton no more that's just people but you know I think it's okay for prisoners to pick up trash on the side of the road you know so that I can have that information in a condensed form so that when I start getting in these representatives behind about slavery uh, actually existing you know that we could also make that available to other people who want to do the same I, I meant that man you know I, I'm just I, I I'm, I'm really you. angry I, for um, tonight man I think that we do need something like that recently I put a form letter together and I sent it out to one of the major anti-slavery organizations international anti-slavery organizations 
asking them about their stance on what we're facing here in the United States today. And I gave them a few of the primary points, but I attached those two videos that I created, because for me, that is the pamphlet. Each one is only a few minutes long, and in their own words, they tell you exactly what they're doing. And, it, and there's a point where something you know, that you're proposing, whether it be a theory, whatever, becomes an undeniable fact. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you can see that in those two videos. So if you haven't seen them, check it out at the Move to Abolish 21st Century. You know what? We, uh, you gave page, me an idea, Max. You know page. what we need to do? We need to put together a DVD. You know what I'm saying? That then we could send out the DVD or slap them in the face with it. Right, right. Just sit down, watch this, take 40 minutes, it's worth it. And uh, when you're done watching it, your life will be changed. You know, a lot of movie. Uh, uh, creators and directors have have aspired for the, to that same thing for the same reason, but I do think that we have the uh, the resources to make it happen just based on the library that we've collected. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a good idea, Scotty. We should reach them in any way possible. Newsletters with the upcoming uh, North Star magazine that we're developing. I'm looking forward to that coming out because that's going to be also an interactive multimedia presentation. And for those that know. You know how we've been doing things over the years. You should be looking forward to it too. Yeah. So yeah, guess, DVD, pamphlets, posters, and even a fundraiser to start, so we can start putting signs up on the uh, the billboards and stuff like that, or maybe in the uh, subways and such. Right, 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 right. And of course, this is part of um, our work with the Ida B. Wells. Uh, what's the name of the group? Ida B. Wells Coalition. Yes, against mass incarceration and prison slavery. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we 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 are making more allies, and you know, again, we have interviewed various different groups. Of, what was it? The Ohio Association of Students. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, yes, the uh, Ohio uh, New Abolitionist Association. That's right. That's right. So yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Young brother Jason out there doing his thing as an abolitionist. Big <laughs> shout out to them. Um, guess we'll take one more break as we cover our last story and get into our last state profile in our abolitionists. Sounds like a plan. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with me, him, and that other guy. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. Descending from the tribes of Africa, inspired by the great black leaders. mind-blowing to even hear it. I think Scotty's going to handle it. Yeah. Well, for me, it's the equivalent of uh, white supremacists calling a black man racist. <laughs> you know? That's what it sounds like to me. I do want to say a few things on it when you're done, but Scotty, go ahead and handle that. If yeah. Find you, man. For those that listened to me earlier this week on um, uh, the live drive at 5, Black Talk Radio live drive at 5 that I do Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays at 5 o'clock 
p.m. Eastern. I talked about this, but I also wanted to bring it to our new abolitionist radio audience as well. But the Fraternal Order of Police Copyright, the uh, so-called voice of our nation's law enforcement officers, this is supposed to be the largest uh, police union in the nation representing over 300,000 slave catchers. Um, so anyway, the uh, president, Chuck Cantonbury, um, has called on Congress to expand the federal hate crime laws to protect law enforcement officers and punish those who target these dedicated public servants. He goes on to say, my thoughts and prayers over the past few weeks have been with the families of officers who were with malice and forethought gunned down just because they served as police officers, Canterbury said. Enough is enough. It's time for Congress to do something to protect the men and women who protect us. And so, I'm, you know, I linked to the article. I don't care to read the entire article when they talk about how they have a, uh, advocated for more than a decade to expand uh, hate crime law protections for a law enforcement officer by uh, increasing penalties on perpetrators. Uh, who select their victims because they are or are perceived to be police officers and whatnot. And so they're trying, what they're doing is, and he admits that this is what he's doing, but, you know, in the wake of those two NYPD police officers being assassinated um, allegedly in New York City, they're trying to wave that, ride that wave of sympathy that people have uh, for those two officers. And so now they're trying to get hate crime, federal hate crime legislation. And, you know, for those that didn't hear my, hear my commentary, I just felt like, you know, what you do is a hate crime. That's racial profiling, which we know in a federal court has heard the lawsuit against the NYPD for racial profiling and, and found them to be in violation of the Constitution. You were targeting people by their race. That should be a hate crime. Each and every one of those cops that engaged in racial profiling should have been charged with a hate crime. You know, if you just want to target the ones who came up with the policy, like I, I guess it might have been Bloomberg or Ray Kelly or one of those guys uh, or the one that's now a felon, Bernard Carrick, you know, uh, they sh should have been charged with hate crimes for targeting black and brown communities. But there is no greater crime of hate than the, the enslavement of over a million people in the human trafficking of millions more. What bigger hate crime is occurring in this country than, th than that under the constitutional legalized slavery of the 13th Amendment? So I I'll shut up on that, but that's what I think about his proposal that they be covered uh, by hate crime legislation. If anything, they should be charged with hate with this uh with these hate crime laws. Guys. I agree. Max, go ahead. <laughs> you know, again, this is a circumstance where the criminal is absolving themselves of all guilt and portraying themselves at, as the victims in all of this. This mm -hmm. is the uh, the enslaver complaining that he doesn't have benefits or that he has to spend so many hours whipping your ass 
that he can't spend time with his family. This, this is just so outrageous for them to even come out of their mouth like this, to try to use a law that is basically in place often to protect people against them, <laughs> mm. to protect themselves. And, you know, I, I find it hard to, to really even logically counter something that is illogical. You know, it's hard to communicate with someone who only is using fallacies. And that's where we find ourselves right now. This is just fallacy after fallacy. You guys need to be on trial right now. I, I remember one time that I read that, I believe, Johanna, and you shared some information on this recently, it was determined that about half of the New York City Police Department was corrupt at the time. 50 oh, yeah, during the, uh, during the uh, not Serpico, uh, before that, uh, I forget the guy's name right that fast, but anyway, yeah, during a during a time period in the seventies, when they busted one of their cops that was on the take, and then he turned into a rat. It was a it was a mm -hmm. film I watched called Patrol Patrolman P. Um, a guy got busted uh, shaking down brothels and whatever they had him on on tape, and he immediately turned into a you know into a snitch on the system. And I've heard other people since I talked about it. I've heard others that have said it was as high as seventy five percent of the uh, officers were, were corrupt. But at any rate, the uh, PVA president at that time went ahead and, and retired uh, from the political pressure because they were trying to, to uh, fight back. They didn't want to, to take the guilt. You know, They didn't want to take the blame for what they were doing. They were trying to fight back against being criticized at that time. And uh, another time when uh, Dinkins was, uh, when uh, Mayor uh, Dinkins was in office, it was another time when they fought back and uh, didn't want to be criticized. They were trying to get a citizens, uh, citizens review board uh, so they could have some citizen oversight into, into the police brutality that was going on at that time. So, you know, and they fought back and, and uh, threatened him and called him all kind of, you know, names and racial slurs and everything else and basically ran him out of office. So, you know, this is the, the dawn of the uh, Giuliani age and uh, he calls himself the, the mayor, the greatest mayor ever, but you know, even he was he with all with the broken windows and with his uh, stop and frisk and with all these techniques that they brought out to hyper criminalize and and terrorize people. And we've already talked about the numbers in stop and frisk were negligible. Uh, 2.3 million people, and I think it was 3% uh, convictions. And out of those 3% that were convicted, something like 90% were, were plea deals. People didn't even go to trial. So you know, they, these numbers are horrible, but. Um, Giuliani himself was was actually the most unpopular mayor until 9/11 hit. So he's he's made himself into being some kind of hero, so he can come back now and say that the problem is not police criminality; the problem is black on black crime. When he was in office, people were looking and trying to get him out. They hated him until the towers fell. Then all of a sudden, he was a hero. So you know, this is another thing that we're looking at where these guys are resisting. Uh, uh, citizen oversight. These people are resisting the voice in the democracy. The people that pay your paychecks are telling you to stop killing them. And this is how they respond. This is what they do. They're sociopaths, man. They're antisocial. Period. They're antisocial. So, you mean, what are you going to expect from these guys? Well, when I heard that, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, the Lock and Rose video and analysis, when is it okay to shoot a cop? And I'm hey, going to yeah. post it on the site. Yeah, I'm going to post it on the site. 
uh, we're not telling you to go out and shoot cops or anything like that. What we're telling you is this video is very informative, and it tells you about what's happening in the police departments. If it's potentially possible and historically factual that like 50%, at least 50%, and up to 75% of the New York City Police Department was corrupt, then do you think that it's much different, different today? I mean, we've shown you how many of the officers who are involved in these unarmed killings often have records of abuse yeah. and violence and deception. They've been transferred from one place to another place. And some of them make it as far as police chiefs where they feel like they can call the president a nigger while they're sitting up in their police office and get away with it. This is the thoughts and mentalities of the officers that we have now on a large scale running our police and sheriff's departments and our law enforcement divisions. They're embedded. And if you're a good cop, like a lot of the good cops, and I'm only using that as quotation mark thing because I don't believe in the distinction, but if you're one of those types, then you should be one of the ones who are coming out that we've been putting out on our, our page, showing how you stood up against this and you said something because somebody's got to do it. And if it's not us and not you, then who's going to do it? Anyway, right. the video is there. When is it okay to shoot a cop? Yeah, Something I want to hit on with, with what you just said. Uh, take case in point. Three of the uh, of the murders that have happened recently, extrajudicial murders, the cops call themselves judge, jury, executioner, right there on the spot, got rid of three unarmed brothers. These three, uh, the uh, Panatello that, that uh, choked out Eric Garner, we talked about on this program, he was already being sued by Eric Garner himself, plus he was That's being sued right. by others that uh, said he was in the strip searching people and fondling their genitalia and all this. He had been sued three times for violating the rights of black males specifically, and you never heard a word about that. But as applies to this story where we're talking about they want to turn it into a hate crime if somebody gets some get-back on you, I mean, if the system won't work to criminally punish you, you can't be held accountable because you're a cop. What, I mean, what do you think life is? You can just take somebody else's life on allegations. Tamir Rice. The cop that killed him, uh, Tim Lohman, we talked about on this program. His previous superiors had said he wasn't even fit to be a damn cop. That's pretty said he was a net case. He wasn't no good on the firing range. He didn't seem like he was good under pressure. They had questions. Yeah, he was, he was not fit to be an officer. He left his original uh, jurisdiction and ended up working but for the department where he got sent him out to the and his father, yeah. and his father, I forget his father's name, it might have been Fred Loman, but his father even said that he found, because he was in a suburban area, he would be like in the area where I live, you know what I'm saying, uh, and he was looking for some action, and that's why right. he went to Cleveland. That's what his, fa his own father said, and he found action in that park that day when he gunned down that little 12-year-old child. Now, yeah. you know what you was talking about, how that's pretty bad when the police department says you're not fit to be a cop. Because as I got into a conversation with somebody today who thought that I was just attacking cops by talking about, you know, they're a bunch of low IQ Neanderthals. And I was really saying in a city here in, in North Carolina called Asheville, there's been an article that came out that says that a lot of people are angry because they are lowering their educational standards. The city of Asheville, right. you, to be a cop, you had to have a two-year bachelor degree. Now, the average across the country is all you got to have is a high school diploma. 
All right. And so, you know, I told this guy, I'm not just attacking cops and calling them stupid just because I don't like the job that they do or I'm angry because they didn't kill this person or kill that person. This is what other cops say. And, and they were saying one of the people, the police trainers quoted in the article says that that cops with lower IQs, with less education, have typically have the most problems with excessive force and that you know Asheville has some of the highest standards in the nation to become a cop and they have recently lowered it to be just like everybody else because they want to be able to hire more cops and people weren't qualified that were applying because they didn't have a two-year degree and so this when you hear stupid stuff coming out of the mouths of police union bosses like this guy Canterbury, like this guy up there in New York, Pat Lynch and others, Fulmer saying all this retarded stuff well that's because you have to think these are literally dumbasses, alright and so, <laughs> you know just like, and I'm not denigrating anybody out there but in war, you know, you typically, like, if I got any people that was in the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps has typically been known as cannon fodder, all right? They, they just sent you the first to go in to get shot up and everything. And they don't want you, if you got a high IQ, they don't want you in the Marine Corps. They have the lowest standards in all the military service, all right? And, and it's the same way with these cops, man. They got very, very low standards and that's part of the problem and they don't want people thinking about should I really be racially profiling people out here no they don't want you thinking about that they want you to just follow orders Do they don't want you to think about should I really be ruining this teenager's life just cause he got a dime bag of weed you know they don't want you to think about it you know what I'm saying they just want you to do it do I am I really participating in slavery just like you know how the first police departments were formed as slave catchers and to keep people in line and in check and on the plantation so I, that's a big part of the problem you know that a lot of people don't want to recognize is that you got a bunch of low people out there with low IQs that are following orders and they're, and they're practicing slavery if it if it was not for cops there wouldn't be one person in prison now would it those 70 percent that's in there for non-violent victimless crime it's a cop or cops that put them there so sorry if i don't you know cop worship on this program or any program i do or i don't get up on facebook talking about well some of them good you know what i'm saying you are not a good cop if you are putting people in slavery or if you starting the process of the enslavement of people by arresting them for non-violent so-called drug crimes. I'm sorry, I might have went off on a tangent, but, man. Yeah, and, you know, they don't have... Man. Uh, the people that order them to do these things and write the laws, uh, particularly the ones written by the prison industries themselves, by the time they get to the cops, all they have know is I need to enforce the law. I'm here to enforce the law. I don't have to have an opinion on the law. I have to enforce the law. Yeah, and you know, the mind of a slave ass is it legal. The mind of a free man ass is it right. And you need to ask yourself, is this right? Really? I'm supposed to be out here collecting how much? $50,000 this month just in traffic tickets? I'm supposed to be writing that much? That's my quota? Is it, is really? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? 
and you don't want me to do it in your white neighborhoods. You want me to do it over here in the black neighborhoods. But wait a minute. Uh, my man Billy's son is a big-time smoker. I know he smokes weed all the time. He lives right over there in the white neighborhood, but you want me to go over here where these guys got little nickel bags and pick them up, right? <laughs> you know? It's just ridiculous. I face value, and you need to recognize your position you play in modern-day slavery. Yeah. And that probably won't happen until you recognize that it is modern-day slavery. I mean, this, right. this idiot sitting up here talking about people who hate the uniform. Man, ain't nobody hating on no uniform. We're hating on what's being done in those uniforms. You see what I'm saying? It's like We're people- real Americans, man. We hate terrorism in all forms. Ain't that what it's about? Ain't that what Bush said? We'll chase these damn terrorists to the ends of the earth. We hate terrorists. And if you look at the no, record of, of terrorists, if you look at the record of the police since the beginning in Boston 1631 slave patrols, and you follow it all the way through to every city when it was established, nighttime night riders and turning to daytime policing and precinct walkers and every kind of manifestation. If you look at what's going on, the main thing they did was terrorize the poor, terrorize black folks, terrorize, terrorize. They, they don't they don't stop crime unless a cop is sitting right there at the moment looking at somebody. They don't stop crime. They come and they record what happened. When you call them for something right now, domestic disturbance, they come in and they kill somebody in your house. The advice now is, is to don't call the police. That's what uh, Paige May was telling us from uh, We Charge Genocide when she came. They just went to the U.N. That's one of the recommendations they came back from the U.N. with. Is How about we go with a new policy in 2015? Just don't call the police. Try to work it out as best you can. But when you talk about low-IQ Neanderthals, I mean, there is... A lot of truth beyond even what you already said, because the Supreme Court just ruled that ignorance of the law is no excuse for citizens, but it is an excuse that's acceptable for a police officer. So this is literally a Supreme Court decision, an eight-to-one ruling found that cops who pulled over in this example of this court case that they did, who pulled over Nicholas Hain for a broken taillight in North Carolina, they were justified in doing a subsequent search of his car, even though North Carolina law says that having only one broken taillight is not even a violation of the law. So he didn't know the law, but he was okay with doing everything else he did because later he searched the guy's car and found some cocaine, and the cocaine couldn't be suppressed when the dude went to trial because the cop didn't know he shouldn't have stopped him in the first place. So this is literally saying you can be ignorant of the law and be a cop. But as a citizen, you need to know the law or you will suffer the full punishment of the law. Never agree to a search of your car. Never, never agree to that. But speaking of the federal courts, again, you know, and and, and I posted the link for that other person as well who said I was just hating on cops and whatnot. The, the, a federal court ruled that a guy um, probably was discriminated against but it wasn't against the law. This guy wanted to be a police officer, and he scored high on an IQ test. And the police said the police department he was applying with, it was somewhere up north, that he was applying for, said that, oh, we can't hire you, you too smart. And I'm paraphrasing what they said. He scored too high on the test. We cannot hire you as no cop. And the, and the courts upheld that. 
and said that the police have a right to discriminate against people with high IQs. What does that tell you? Man. And again, this is the way that it all gets generated. Everything we talk about on this program about prison slavery and about the industrial complex, the plantation, the money, the labor, the exploitation, the health care, the murders, the lobbying laws and creating laws to generate everything we discuss, it all comes from this inception, these cops. Without them, like you said, there wouldn't be anybody in prison. So you want to talk about a hate crime, we charge y'all with centuries of hate Mm. crimes. Terrorism, straight up terrorism. You don't think well, Tamir Rice was, was hit like a terrorist gets hit? That film looks very much like what, uh, like a drone strike or something. You just see the camera and they close in and boom, he's dead. I'm, you know, I met some intelligent police <clears throat> and officers of the law. Highly intelligent. <clears throat> cunning. Cunning even, you know? <clears throat> so I, I'm not going to say that they're all just, you know, Neanderthals or dummies like that. Some of the things they get away with takes a hell of a lot of intelligence. You know, these corrupt individuals, these networks of freaking drug cartels and things like that, <clears throat> where you find out the cop of the year is uh, picking up cocaine in Florida. <laughs> you know, right. where New York City, cop of the freaking year is picking up cocaine in Florida. I mean, and it's you, just you know, like the military. Mitch McConnell's father-in-law on Mitch McConnell's boat has like six tons of cocaine waiting for somebody to pick it up. The norm, the norm. Of course, there's going to be some exceptions. Maybe somebody was smart enough to downplay their IQ just so they could get on the job. So I'm not saying that they're all dummies, but come on, man. You know what I'm saying? A lot of them are pretty stupid. If you listen to the comments coming from these police union bosses, I'm like, only an ignorant person would get out there with a shirt that says "We Can Breathe," mocking some uh, uh, of somebody. Who That's is the subject of, of yeah. protesting? And only an idiot would get out there. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't think a person with high intelligence would think that was a good idea. But those when the guys foundations did. of your life is built on fallacies, everything around those fallacies is real to you. Until somebody pulls that, uh, you know, the, the card out from underneath, makes it all fall down. Because they're just fallacies. You're standing on foundations of soft sand. You believe something that is not true. It's a lie. It's a lie in every aspect and every way you can imagine it. And no matter how intelligent or how many degrees you got, as long as your foundations is based on that lie, everything around you is still a lie. Speaking of lies, um, what did the Wyoming Constitution say about abolishing slavery? Uh, we, I looked through the Wyoming Constitution, and which is our last one, by the way, <laughs> our very last one, 50 weeks in a row doing these constitutions. The last one is Wyoming, and the state of Wyoming has done what a number of other states has done and put nothing in there, nothing regard to slavery, nothing regard to slavery. Uh, servitude that I could find, but it did have the uh, part where it said that the citizens of Wyoming can abolish their government and replace with one that they see fit, like many other states have. I don't know if you brothers found anything on it, Johannes, or no, it's just what you just reported. So I mean, the same the same story as always. 
So right. they when they don't to put the anything in there, it means they default to the 13th Amendment of the United States of America, which has the exception clause. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the history of slavery in the state, and Wyoming didn't become a state until 1890, so it's another one that escapes being considered a slave state, you know, because just by default it couldn't, it couldn't have been, it wasn't even an incorporated state. But the territory uh, was engaged in slavery as far back as um, 1699 uh, when it was a part of uh, the French colony of Louisiana. So, you know, even after the, the Spanish took over that area, I mean, on and on until slavery was was abolished by the 13th Amendment, um, it was, you know, there was slavery going on in that territory, but it wasn't technically a state until 1890. So they kind of they slipped through the cracks on, on getting that official designation, but the practice was, was going on. So they, they default to the 13th Amendment and legalized slavery as punishment for so-called crime. That's right. Slavery uh, and indented indentured servitude are allowed through the 13th Amendment as punishment for crime. And that one key piece of evidence is sweeping across the country like wildfire right now. People are just, what? <laughs> like the memes you had, we, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> where, right. You know, uh, yeah, he's looking at like when you find out that the 13th Amendment never abolished slavery, and then all of a sudden the puzzle starts clicking together. Click, 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 and you go, oh my God. It was in my face all along, and right. not only did I not know, but I actually helped them. Right. Yep, it's going to take a lot. Like you said, Scotty, it may, uh, I believe it's going to. I'm not calling for war. Don't edit my statement and make no nothing out of it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying any kind of terrorist <laughs> threats or nothing, but I'm <laughs> just looking at the facts of the matter. I don't see how we're going to get out of it without bloodshed. I just, I don't see how it can happen. I talk to experts all over the world all the time. This is a job for me. This is what I do is research this and look into this day in, day out and make relationships with people and discuss this with PhDs and authors and lawyers and legislators and people that will discuss the matter. No one has an answer for how we get out of it any kind of way, an easy way. And it's too much a part of the fabric of our country. We discussed on this program a couple weeks ago all of the industries that are impacted by slavery, by this prison slave system. If you get rid of these jobs, you're going to instantly get, if you get rid of this system, you're going to instantly get rid of a million jobs of people that just work in the prisons. If you let these people in the prison. Yeah, and you let a million, six, a million, 1.6 million people out of the prisons, what are you going to, what jobs are you going to give them? So, I mean, the problem is, is really a big problem, and the thing is uh, the country sat back and allowed it to become this big of a problem. So, you know, it's not going to be something that's easy to, to get out of. I posted a, a, a link, and I'll put it on the New Abolitions page, um, to a story that was talking about the explanation for America's prison problem is, is that this is what people wanted. It was saying if you loaded U.S. prisons, with the entire population of the city of Philadelphia, there would, if you put everybody in Philadelphia into all the prisons in the U.S., there would still be enough spaces left to add in the entire population of Detroit. If you opened all the prisons today and let all the men and women out, if you took them out of prison, 
you would be able to completely staff every McDonald's restaurant in the country, every Starbucks in the country. You would be able to completely staff the entire United States Army and the United States Marine Corps and completely staff the entire United States Postal Service if you let everybody out of prison today. Just think of those institutions, the size of those. Like here in South Carolina, they employ 7,000 people just in the prison industry alone. That's 7,000 just in SC. You know, we got 50 states, so you're talking about a lot of people in the federal end of it, not counting the private end. So what are we going to do? How are we going to create jobs for these people? Go back to FDR, we're going to rebuild all the roads, rebuild all the bridges, go on a massive uh, national infrastructure rebuild and give everybody jobs, pouring cement and driving loaders and I mean, where are we going to get these jobs? How does the government create jobs? What are you going to give jobs to all these people that we don't have them now? Black, the black uh, population's unemployment rate hovers around 11% on record. We know it's far beyond that. The mass population unemployment rate is still around 6% on record. We know it's beyond that. Well, There's millions of people that don't even have like unemployment no more. We know why it's like that. We've mentioned it here on numerous occasions and talked about it. It's the you know, the taking of the manufacturing jobs primarily yeah. and service jobs and shipping them out overseas. And now, instead of bringing them back home, they're coming home to the prisons instead. So those jobs are still non-existent. They're getting done. Of course they're getting done, but they're just not getting done where people are getting living wages. They're getting done through slave labor, which has always been the hunt for corporate America anyway. Right, yep. right. I was going to say to Johan and give them the jobs that they're already doing. That's right. The landscaping, the meat and poultry you know process. kind of hit Wall Street would take if you did that? Then that's not going to happen. They already put us on the hook for a trillion dollars to Wall Street. Jamie Dimon lost $40 billion or something of like that and still got his job. They already took Wall Street off the hook for a trillion when Obama got in office. Wall Street is not going to take a hit. And if you give all those jobs, if you put those prison jobs back in the private sector, you're going to have to pay people. Florida was just talking about it. Their senator meeting just the other day, they were talking about how they haven't had a job, a pay raise in seven years. They can't even compete for good people to come be guards there because they don't pay the people. And that's the state prisons, let alone the private prisons. Geo Group is headquartered there. They're not paying the people, so just like the cops are, are, like you said, low IQ, and they want to get people that kind of can't do anything else, so they'll be there and they'll follow orders and just do the, you know, stick to the script and enslave people. The guards behind the walls are in a similar situation. So we're creating a problem for us. But I, I won't rant and keep going. We're, we're way over time, so that's for next week. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> I tell you, man, I would rather have a broken country trying to heal itself without the peculiar institution of slavery than a unified country that is unified in apathy and allows this to continue. You know, Amen. I, I just would rather. So anyway, we're at, we went over time. We're at the end of our show. Uh, our next segment is our abolitionist in profile uh Scotty, did you want me to read that? Or are uh, you sure, you, you can read it. All right, give me a second to pull it up right here. Um, All right, I got a link to, okay, uh, got a link to it in the program it. description. I'm all set. All right, National 
Abolitionist Hall of Fame and Museum. Theodore Dwight Weld, 1803-1895. Theodore Dwight Weld, abolitionist, lecturer, author, and educator, was born in Hampton, Connecticut, on November 23, 1803. His father, Ludovicius Weld, was the minister of the Hampton Congregational Church. His mother, Elizabeth Clark Weld, was related to such New England clerical luminaries as Jonathan Edward and Timothy Dwight. When Theodore was six years old, an African-American boy named Jerry entered as a student in his common school. The teacher segregated Jerry from the rest of the class and treated him with casual cruelty. In an act of courage, Theodore asked to be seated next to Jerry. After this early awakening to racial inequality, Weld entered Phillips Academy Andover in 1819, but due to eyesight problems, he left school and began to develop his public speaking skills. After his family relocated to central New York, Weld enrolled in the Oneida Manual Labor School in Whitestown. Like Andover, the school's mission was to train ministers, but it combined study with outdoor labor in order to build strong bodies. In 1832, when the Oneida School failed to live up to his ideological expectations, he led a cohort of his fellow students to a new school devoted to the principles of manual labor, the Lane Theological Seminary in Cincinnati, led by Minister Lyman Beecher. At Lane Seminary, Theodore Weld converted to immediate abolitionism. Weld and other abolitionist students organized a series of debates over 18 days in February 1834 in order to convert their fellow students and faculty away from colonization and towards immediate abolition. In the wake of the debates, known as the Lane Debates, students organized an anti-slavery society, but they also undertook something even more scandalous. They devoted themselves to aiding the black population of Cincinnati. Beecher and the other professors attempted to reassert their authority and end such activities, but in the end, Weld and the so-called Lane Rebels left the cemetery, or the seminary. After leaving Lane Seminary, Weld became a lecturer for the American Anti-Slavery Society. As the anti-slavery agent for Ohio charged with converting Westerners to the idea of slavery as a national sin, Weld became known as the most mobbed man in America. On May 14, 1838, Theodore Dwight Weld married fellow abolitionist lecturer, lecturer Angela Grimke at the home of the Sister of Philadelphia. No minister or judge presided. The couple simply held hands and stated their vows before their assembled friends and relatives, rejecting the legal power of husband over wife, married woman status that of a semi-covert or an economic and political dependent. Weld abjured all authority, all government, save the influence which love would give to them over each other as moral and immortal beings. The couple invited an interracial group of guests, many with strong abolitionist credentials, including Maria, uh, Maria Weston Chapman, Abby Kelly Foster, William Lloyd Garrison, Garrett Smith, Henry B. Henry B. Stanton, and Louis Tappan. The wedding was the opening event in a week-long abolitionist celebration. Long excluded from churches and meeting halls for fear of mob violence, Philadelphia abolitionists had raised $40,000 to build, in their own, in Wells' words, Temple of Freedom. On the same day of Theodore and Angelina's wedding, Pennsylvania Hall opened with a week of scheduled programs. On May 18, 1838, just days after the opening speeches, a mob burned the Pennsylvania Hall to the ground. 
Pennsylvania Hall marks the end of well career as an anti-slavery lecturer, Theodore Angelina, and her sister Sarah, who lived with them for most of their married lives, poured over 20,000 Southern newspapers in order to produce American slavery as it is, which influenced Harriet Beecher Stowe's celebrated Uncle Tom's Cabin, published in 1839. The volume of condemned slavery used in the experience and words of unwitting white Southerners as evidence in the early 1840s, Theodore Wells moved temporarily to Washington, D.C. to do research for Senator John Quincy Adams, who was then actively engaging in a battle over the gag rule on anti-slavery petitions. In 1848, Theodore, Angelina, and Sarah started a school on their farm in Bellevue, New Jersey. The abolitionist friends enthusiastically endorsed the project by enrolling their own children. In 1853, Marcus Springs invited the Wells to run the school on his new utopian venture, the Raritans Bay Union. The school, a co-op educational and racially integrated institution, lasted until 1862. Theodore Dwell White outlived his wife and many of his allies, dying on February. February 3rd, 1895, in Hyde Park, Massachusetts, at the age of 92. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Theodore Weld. Salute! Dude, you know what I loved about him is that he pulled together a group of uh, debaters. That's what they were trained to do, to go out and prove it. By debating, you know what I mean, with all of the professionals. Oh, you're pro-slavery. Well, let's talk about that. Let me debate that with you. And doing it with the politicians and pushing the issue of slavery as a national sin forward. That was a wonderful uh, idea, I think, and it shows that it caused a lot of change. Yeah, it did. Well, we wrapping up. Uh, I don't. I don't I'm. I'm kind of done. We can. You know. I mean, what else can we say, man? <laughs> I have to catch myself to not be ranting and going crazy, and you just on and on and on with this. It's man. They fought the good fight, though. You're right. The debate idea was a good idea, and like we did with the Ida B. Wells Coalition that we're working with, uh, establish. Uh, like we talked about establishing a speakers bureau, establishing a, a, a list of people that you know, can go and, and present and defend and you know, this is this is uh likely still a, a very valuable tool right now. I mean what do we got? Like the uh Michelle Alexanders of the world or uh Tim Wise. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got a few handful of people that will go out and discuss it. Um I ain't never heard uh Tim Wise discuss slavery. He does that? On that aspect, though. But there are schools out there. I'm personally friends with some educators, like in North New Jersey is a young woman who teaches about uh, slavery abolitionism and modern-day slavery, and uh, we stay in communication. And she's not the only one. Also, the Avery Institute, which I was instrumental in changing the uh, narrative that they were providing at the time. But there are educators out there who are doing this. And for them, maybe this would be a great idea. I mean... If you're already doing it, why don't you create a debate class? <laughs> you know what I mean? And get these young people to get out there and start talking about it in debates. Yeah, debating why slavery still exists and was never abolished. Right, right. And why it's still well, an anyway, evil institution and why all these cops are guilty of hate crimes. Hmm. Well, 
there you go, New Abolitionist Radio with yet another solution. <laughs> so who's coming with us? Because you know we're ready for you. So if you want to talk with us and and get sharpened up, you want to be a part of what we do with uh, the move to abolish 21st century slavery. Uh, find our group on Facebook by that name. Come to the New Abolitionist Radio page on uh on Facebook. Um, find us on Twitter. N A R End Slavery. New Abolitionist Radio End Slavery. Um, our, our YouTube page, New Abolitionist Radio. I mean, we're all over social media, um, putting the word out there, giving you the information. And if you want to talk to us, you want to sharpen your skills on debate, you want to uh, follow us and how we debate the situation or whatever, you know, whatever you can bring to the table, it's seriously all hands on deck. I mean, it, it's it's us against them. There's no no question about it. So uh, we we need your help if you're interested in doing some work. Indeed. Well, I guess this is the end of the evening, and we're way over time. One of the longest shows we've ever done, but still one of the most powerful, particularly considering our guests for the evening, Brother So, uh, in reference to Brother Phil Africa and his ailments that we're dealing with. Anyway, we're at the end of the show, uh, the end of the program, our last statements for the evening. I'm kind of drained like you, Johanna, you know what I mean? But I keep remembering that there's people who were out there many many years before us who fought these same fights and they left us clues on what to do or at least to remind us to what happened to them when they tried to do certain things so we can either use their advice or avoid their mistakes. So uh, who wants to start out this evening? Is that Scotty or Yana? I'll, I'll go ahead and start. I'll just keep it quick and simple. Is Again, you know, um, people want to talk about good cops out there and there may be some people who were good people and they became cops but you know they see all the wrongdoing is going on and yet they remain silent i've been seeing you know a few cops step up and say yeah these people even practice racism against us and i'm afraid when i'm not in uniform to be out here in the streets you know, that's admirable, but we need you to do much more. I actually would like to see a civil war break out in, in among their ranks. You know what I'm saying? Unfortunately, when we saw all those thugs up there in New York turn their back on the mayor simply because he made public comments about having to have the talk with his black son, you know, you want to turn your backs on him protesting at your fellow cops' funerals. You know, I only saw one or two pictures of cops who didn't turn their backs. So, you know, we understand the evil institution that you are a part of, and, you know, I don't know if you can actually change it from within i don't think that's possible so it's best you come out from among among them okay and i'm just sorry i just cannot get on here and lie to folks and say you know cops are heroes and they protecting us and they serving us because yeah the only thing they serving is serving up serving us up right into uh slavery and human trafficking and i mean i'll, I'll just leave it at that man i'm, I'm kind of sick because of all these statements from these police union thugs wanting hate crime protections when they've been engaged in perpetual hate crimes for what four three four centuries i don't know agreed agreed like i said like you just said for so many centuries the same thing um i'll try to be brief myself as well there's i mean there's nothing else to say i mean you know who the question is not if this is real, the question is not if we know what we're talking about. The question is not anything other than who's going to believe our report. 
Seriously, who is going to hear this and believe what we're telling you and let it change your mind, let it change your life? Try it out. Put us on a, put us on a 30-day probation. And just what we say, you believe it and go act on it and go check it out for yourself for 30 days. And if we ever lie to you, you got the right to come back and call us out. If we ever mislead you about this, you got the right to come back and call us out. You can go all over social media. You can go on a speaking tour and talk shit on the abolitionists because we just, we lied. I put my life on what I'm saying, being the, being the truth. And I mean that very literally. All of us that are only reporting this week after week have some kind of, I don't, I don't want to call it surveillance, but we, we have some kind of somebody watching what we're doing, somebody listening to what we're talking about. We're going to get somebody on our case just to see how far we go, what are we going to say, how much of a threat are we. COINTELPRO never went away. There's never been people that came out and had a message of abolitionism, had a message of liberation, had a message for the people to try to uplift the people up out of tyranny that weren't persecuted by the state itself. So this is a very real and serious topic for us. Nobody here is trying to be a radio star or trying to be a celebrity or trying to get Facebook famous or whatever the hell. I could give a damn. I had a life for damn near 40 years before I came on this program. And I would like to live another 40, but this is important enough to put it at risk. That's how important this is, is to put it at risk. I have young children, and this is important enough to put my life at risk that I might not see them become adults. I might not see my grandchildren. You heard our guest earlier? 30 years, 35 years that his family members have been locked away. You can't, they don't even know where their man is now. Brother Phil is just gone in the system. They've already lost so many. And each of us that speaks on this and works to motivate you to give a damn about this is putting ourselves in a situation where we could be traded for one of them put right on in that situation. And we know this. But because we know what we know is the truth about this, we can't sleep if we don't tell you about it. We can't live our lives free and clear conscious and know what's going on and not fight to end it. We need you to have that same kind of conviction in your own life. Peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors. I'm going to keep mine short, too. Um, Tomorrow I'll be down at the com- conversation, Columbia having a conversation, and I'm almost certain I'm going to be the only person there talking about abolitionism. Friday I'm doing the march in Columbia, and abolitionism is not part of the agenda, but I know I'm going to be there talking about abolitionism. My point is, if you carry a message of truth, be willing to stand alone, because you've got, already got everything you need. And remember that abolition is the reason for a revolution. So we can all finally know. Peace. Peace. Not a Wu Tanger. We set the foundation. Come on. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.